back in the day, when I was young and full of vigor, I was a U2 fan. I really liked U2 a lot. And U2 was on tour. Closest stop that they had was Omaha, Nebraska. Called one of my friends, a Sterling College graduate. We, uh, he came and, and picked me up. He was in uh, Topeka at the time. Came and picked me up. We went to Omaha, Nebraska to, to watch U2 live. And there are uh, two things that I'll never forget about that concert, the beginning and the end. The beginning, because the opening act for the concert was somebody who only rap fans knew about, which is weird for like a rapper to open for U2, um, especially in Omaha, Nebraska. That rapper's name was Kanye West. Uh, before there was Yeezy, there was just Kanye. And um, I, you know, nobody loves Kanye like Kanye loves Kanye, but I really liked Kanye back then. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was Kanye, and he had like a, a DJ who had a turntable and was running the beats, and then he had like a, a five-piece uh, string quintet. And so he was doing this thing is when his late registration album had come out and he was going around the country doing this late orchestration and opening for you too. And the reason I remember that is because I was the only person in Omaha, Nebraska who was dancing. Warren Buffett was there in his box. I don't think he was dancing or bobbing his head probably. He was just, uh, he was probably like back checking out the orange juice supply or whatever. But I had a really good time at the beginning of that concert. I remember the end of the concert because it was so meaningful. It was a situation similar to that. When U2 was closing their concerts, they were closing with a song called 40. What was remarkable about that song is that it takes the first few verses of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. And then they do something crazy with that song. They do something that's not just like meta, it's like super meta. And that for the chorus of the song, they take these verses of hope and this testimony of deliverance that God has provided, and they add their own chorus in between the verses. And that, that chorus is how long to sing that song? How long to sing that song? And the question that they're asking, the tension that they want everybody to kind of live in and wrestle in is that there is something like good that has been promised. And there's something that all of us are longing for. There's something that that all of us are needing and wanting, and that is renewal. But at the same time, we kind of look around and we be like, well, how long, how long until we get to sing that song? How long until we get to sing that song that, yeah, God, you took me out of the pit and out of that sticky clay and, and you put my feet upon the rock? How long until till I get to, to sing that? And, and what the song encompasses, the way that they sing it, is something that, that the Psalms really encompass a lot. This, this notion of God's promises and the testimony of what God has done in some people's lives or at different points in our lives juxtaposed with the reality of our current situation. Philip Yancey speaks of this when he talks uh, about the Psalms and how they're just so different um, from, from a lot of the other genres that we see in Scripture. Yancey says, whereas most of Scripture is God's word to human beings, the Psalm represent our words to God. And he goes on to say, Psalms give an example of ordinary people struggling mightily to align what they believe about God with what they actually experience. Sometimes the authors are vindictive, sometimes self-righteous, sometimes paranoid, sometimes petty. Do not misunderstand me. I do not believe the Psalms to be any less valuable or, or less inspired than Paul's letters to the Gospels. Nevertheless, the Psalms do have an inherently different approach. 
Not so much representing God to the people as representing the people themselves to God. And that makes sense to me when I read the Psalms, because what I see so often when I read the Psalms are this dance, this dance where where the, the poetry speaks to the promises and the goodness of God, but it also very much acknowledges the weariness of our existence. And is there anybody with us today that feels a little weary? To be honest, I don't know that I've ever felt this, this, this weary. I don't know that our community has ever felt this weary. Right before you guys came back um, to campus, we had a, a staff member who lost her teenage son in a car accident. And we hadn't, you know, you don't, you don't fully recover from that. But even before we had really had a chance to be in that for a long time, um, you know, we, we lost Coach Cruz suddenly. And that hurt. That was hard. That was a surprise. And that was just a few weeks ago. And then Monday, you know, we learned that, that we lose two of our students, members of our community, Esther and, and Xavier. And that's hard. And, and, and it's weary. And it kind of makes you feel like you want to give up. And it kind of makes us wonder, how long, God, how long till we get to sing the good songs again? How long until, until we get to experience that deliverance? Because where we sit right now, it's really hard to believe that. You know, what I think about, uh, uh, what, what I've seen kind of today is I think, I think you guys are, and we are trying really hard to believe that. You know, I was just incredibly impressed with everybody yesterday as, as you got up and you went to class because Monday was, was hard. And I look around today and I see a lot of people who, you know, they, they've gotten up and, and, and we've, 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 we've put on our clothes and, and we've done our hair and, and, and we've done our makeup and, and we're, we're trying to smile through it because we know that's what we should do, but it just doesn't quite feel the same yet. It doesn't feel right yet. It might never feel the same. It might never feel right. But how can Scripture, how can Scripture inform the experience where we stand right now? And how can a poem like Psalm 40 speak to where we are as we seek to God to be our help and our deliverer? Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. That is a a good word right there. That's a good word right there. It's a good word for us, and it's a good word for today. And I think what's interesting, certainly we focus on the words that the psalmist said, but what is implied about the psalmist's experience as he explains where he's been and where he is now? When the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord, what does that mean? That means that, that, that in, in the psalmist's moment of pain and angst and anger or hurt or whatever it was, that God did not answer right away. When we wait patiently for something, that means that we make requests, that we seek, that we look. Sometimes it means that we are groping around in the darkness and we just can't find it. And so whatever it is that, that we feel in this space or whatever it is that we're, we're trying to feel and, and empathize with, with the folks around us, we have to realize that sometimes life does necessitate a certain kind of, of waiting, 
and a certain kind of, of patience, waiting on the Lord patiently. And certainly, God will incline his ear to us, and we will hear our cry. But what we see there is that, yeah, it is okay to cry. That the psalmist himself was crying out to God. That the psalmist wailed, that the psalmist shed tears. And that God heard that, and that God came to him. There's, there's violent language there. That God had to draw the psalmist out of a pit of destruction, out of a miry bog. We don't experience destruction in our lives without there being some, some scars left over. Without there, 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 there being a, a need for healing. And certainly the psalmist speaks to the sovereignty of God, admitting that I couldn't even bring myself out of this thing. I needed your help. The miry bog, that was a swamp. That that was was a, a pit and it was deep. It was clay. My feet were stuck there and I couldn't climb out. What I needed was for someone else to pull me out of that situation and out of the darkness and into the light. But what happens to those cries? What happens to that desperation? There's healing there. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And that's what we want today. I think there are some folks who are maybe starting to to come out of the bog, who are starting to come out of the clay, and that's okay, man. You can, you can feel that. That's a good thing to feel. It's a good thing to feel deliverance. There are some people who are looking right now and they're like, I can't, I just can't do it. I feel too stuck. And for you, that's okay right now too. But know this, that God hears you cries, that God hears your desperation and that God does promise deliverance. There is some theology that the psalmist mixes in, mixes in with this poem over the next few verses. Blessed is the man who makes his trust, the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offering, you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written for me. I will delight to do your will. O my God, your law is written in my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love or your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Please be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to take, to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. There's a lot going on there in the life of the psalmist, isn't there? On the one hand, the psalmist is is resting and and almost talking himself into trying to convince himself 
of how good God is, of, of looking back on the times where God has shown his steadfast love. He is seeing God as a God of relationship. He's talking about, okay, look, God, I, I, I get it. There is religious structure. But at the end of the day, even though there are these things that we're supposed to do, these burnt offerings and, and these sin offerings, that's not actually what, what you've required. What you're doing is, is you are seeking after me and my goodness and my heart. And what you want from me is dedication, there's this, this tricky verse there, verse 6, and sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. And there are so many layers to what is being talked about right there. Some of your, your, your verses may say that, that you have dug out an ear for me. Some of your verses may say that, that you have pierced my ear. Some of your, your translations may say that you have given me an open ear. Those Bibles who have, who have chosen to translate it, you have given me an open ear. It means that, look, that, that God, and we know this from the Hebrew, that God has given us ears that we may hear. That God opens up our hearts when, when we can't see him to be assured by his spirit. That in those times when we are blind, in those times when darkness surrounds us, that God is indeed the light. And that in those times where there's just so much noise, that the voice of God pierces through with a joyous song when it, the, 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 the translations that have chosen to talk about this, um, in terms of, of something that, that where our ears have been pierced, that is a notion of what that means for us to also stand next to God as God stands next to us in our hurt and our pain in our suffering and in our sin. There was this, uh, uh, thing that the Hebrew people did, or if you were a servant or if you were a slave, you would be a servant or a slave for six years. You were not meant to be in bondage in perpetuity. And after those six years, if you had a good relationship with your master, then you could negotiate to be permanently bound as a servant to that master. And if you were permanently bound as a servant to that master, then your ear would be pierced as a sign of your permanent bond. And when the psalmist says that you have given me a pierced ear, there is this notion where the psalmist says, yes, just as you stand by me, I will be in obedience and service to you, my God. And we say, you know what? That sounds like a hard thing to do right now. And I don't know if I could do it. How could God ask me to do it? One interesting thing happens in the New Testament, where in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uses Psalm 40 to talk about the relationship of Jesus with us and the relationship of Jesus with the Father. Hebrews 10.5 says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Those are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all.
man, there's a hopefulness there where Jesus Christ himself saw his own experience as aligning with the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 40. And what do we know that is, that is beautiful and that is hard and that is messy about the life of Jesus? That in the life of Jesus, God is not asking us to do anything that God himself was not willing to do. When God entered into the experience and the existence of this world, God entered into messy relationships. God entered into people betraying him. God entered into losing people that he loved. But there was a steadfast faithfulness there that the psalmist talks about in the poetry. And there was a redemption there that the psalmist talks about in the poetry. And for our lives, what that means is that we have been sanctified. We have been purified. We have been set aside for a purpose. And just as the purpose of Jesus Christ was to do the will of God through all things so that people could stand up and testify in the assembly. So that is what we are called to today. And I have a favor to ask of you. I want us to change some of our language today. I want us to change some of our theology that I don't think is that great and that I don't think is uh, really fully reflected in Scripture. You know, when we go through um, pain, I think we want to get out of that. And one of the things that, that we say to get out of that is we say, well, you know, God meant for that to happen. And I think in our Christianese and our spirituality, we need to take that out. And what I would like for us to replace that with is that God has the power to redeem all things. God has the power to redeem all things. I think um, that when other people suffer and when we tell them that, well, God just meant for this to happen, I think that's probably fairly arrogant on our part. When I look at my own life and when I took that out of my vernacular and my vocabulary uh, was when we adopted our girls. And people would say to us, oh man, like, you know, God meant for this to happen. God meant for them to be in your lives. I was like, no, uh, that's not right. That's actually a really bad theology. Because I don't think that God meant for my daughters to lose their birth parents. There's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of pain there for them that they work through, that we live through with them, a lot of confusion there um, is, is, is a lot of pain there for us as, as, as we even consider and have researched kind of what was, what was happening there. There's a lot of pain for a lot of people there. And, and it's hard for me to say, yes, uh, God, God made that happen for, for little kids. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. What does make sense for me, to me, is that God has the power to redeem even that dark situation and even that deep loss. And so instead of being arrogant and putting myself in the center of the universe and to say, yes, God meant for this to happen, isn't that great? I say, man, that was, that was a really sad thing that happened. It's a really heartbreaking thing that happened. And honestly, I love my daughters so much that um, if like, I, I wish that peace wouldn't have happened for them, even if that would deprive me of some joy. Now, the reality of the world, the reality of living in a broken world is that did happen. And so how, the way that my faith informs me, my faith in Jesus Christ informs me is to say, but God can, can redeem this for a lot of us. 
And we won't exit it unchanged. We won't exit it without our scars, just as Jesus physically did not exit this world without having a scar on his side and scars in his hands. But what I know is that there is an opportunity and a way forward for wholeness. That on every level that Jesus provided that for us, That in our darkness, that Jesus waits there with us. That in our cries, that God hears that. And that he does pull us out of the pit. And while the hard thing for us may be to wonder, how long is it going to be, God, before you pull me out of the pit? Before you pull me out of the clay, we can be reminded by scripture that it will indeed be done. That in fact, a lot of that has already been done. But the Holy Spirit will do a work in our lives to illuminate us and to help us see that. It's interesting to me that after speaking of God's faithfulness, after speaking of God's deliverance, after saying how great God is, how does Psalm 40 end? Verse 17 says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. And I think that wherever we are at in our weariness today, wherever we are at in our brokenness today, wherever we are at trying to sit with with people who we love, who we know are hurting, wherever we are at in our minds and in our spirits and, and, and physically, what would happen if we followed the template of the psalmist informed by our understanding of who God is and who Jesus is? What if we, with, with the psalmist, we, we just prayed verse 17 for ourselves today and, and spoke that out and confessed that and cried that out to God? Yeah, God, I'm, I'm poor and needy right now. I don't have it, God. I do not have it right now. I am poor and I am needy. And part of that has to do with what happens outside of me and around me, and it's burying me. And part of that happens with what is inside of me, my own sin and my own brokenness. And when the pain from the outside comes in, it just churns it up and it gives me doubts and it gives me anger. And God, that's just the place where I am right now. So God, will you take thought of me? And can we trust God to be our help and our deliverer? Can we trust God to do that? In a very general sense, sure, to deliver our community, to give us, uh, like, can we just get a lot of good days in a row for a while? Like, would that be an okay thing? But also in the very spiritual sense, that God, will you be my deliverer? Will you take me a place to a place where I can see that, yes, Jesus has indeed offered us the ultimate redemption, the ultimate path of salvation, the ultimate deliverance. That in my conversations with my friends and as I dig into this book, hopefully I can see that. And I think it's okay for us to be realists and to say it might be a while, but I think it's also okay for us to have the boldness and to go to the, as the psalmist did in verse 17 and just say, do not delay God. Do not delay. The thing I think that's challenging about being 700 people together is we're all kind of in different places. We're all kind of in different places. As we consider these texts and as we consider Jesus, um, I just think we need to be really honest with each other about the place that we are in. And so if we are still in the place where we're just bogged down and dug down, man, be, be honest with people 
about that. That's okay. I think we still need to be honest with people about our hurt and our pain and our suffering and whatever it is that we are feeling. And if we are people who we feel like God has kind of pulled us out a little bit and and given us that strength and maybe put our feet on a solid place and we're starting to get our our feeling back, we're starting to be able to adjust to to, to living in, in the light, then I think it's important for us to talk about our testimony and where God has been with us. And I know that there are those of you who are willing to do that. I know there are those of you who are willing to do that. Heather Odin, um, who lost her son, she, she texted me this morning and she said, look, if there are any students who want to just talk about what loss and grief and that process of, of getting back looks like, she says, talk to her. She says, talk to her. And we have faculty and staff members who, uh, you know, this year have, have lost parents and grandparents and are working through their grief. And they've been through a lot more life than some of, some of you who are still students. Talk to them. Talk to them. And I know there are some of you who came into this year, even before all of this stuff happened as a collective, and you were just really dealing with stuff. I've heard stories of students who lost family members, parents, when they were teenagers or even younger than that. I've heard stories of students who have come into this place, and, and, and you left people who were suffering, who were hurting. You lost your best friend before you came here. Talk to people about that. And let us in the congregation, the assembly, not deny or not put aside our pain, But let us encourage each other. Let us sit with each other. Let us wait patiently for the Lord with each other because God will bend down and hear your cry. And our salvation, our wholeness, it has been assured. But Jesus Christ is calling us to live in that reality. So let's humble ourselves before him. Let us affirm our faith in him. And let us do this hard work together. I think it's important for us today to respond to all that we have heard from Scripture, to all that we are feeling, and to have that opportunity to say to God, God, here is where I am, and I understand where you want me to be. Help me get there, God.